Welcome to the Revolutionaries of Wellbeing podcast. I'm founder and host Sarah McGuinness. The Revolutionaries of Wellbeing, or ROW, is a community of wellbeing managers from organizations around the globe. At ROW, we develop you as a wellbeing leader, giving you a powerful support network, professional development, and workplace wellbeing solutions so that you can focus on giving your employees the right support at the right time. To be stronger, better, and faster at improving wellbeing in your workplace, professional development is key. These discussions on workplace wellbeing are designed to inspire, share ideas, and raise awareness of important issues we can all take action on. The interviews are recorded as part of our monthly Wellbeing Wednesday webinars. In this podcast, we turn our focus to burnout. Burnout is increasing, and it seems to be everywhere at the moment. New research out of AUT suggests 11% of New Zealand workers might be experiencing burnout. Globally, COVID-19 has increased pressure on working adults as they juggle uncertainty, work and life commitments. For those in a leadership role, the pressure can be even greater. For this special podcast on burnout and leadership, we're joined by two of New Zealand's leading experts on the topic. Professor Jared Ha of AUT's Business School and Susie McAlpine, leadership coach and author of the popular book Beyond Burnout, A New Zealand Guide. We discuss what burnout is, the signs and symptoms, the impact of burnout on self, loved ones and work, plus we explore the impact of burnout on leaders and business productivity. Finally, we'll discuss those all-important solutions to avoid burnout and we'll discuss what to do if you're already there or supporting someone to recover. Welcome, Susie. Welcome, Jared. I don't think I need to do much of an intro on burnout. I think we're all pretty familiar with, you know, this being a really big topic. But what I'd be keen to do is just hear from each of you briefly, a little quick intro. I think it's probably better to hear from you in, in your own words. So, Susie, I'll, I'll jump on to you first. Uh, thanks so much, Sarah. It's wonderful to be here. And um, I have uh, professional crushes on both of you. So um, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you both have to say and, and Jared um, as well. Um, <clears throat> so I'm a bit of a self-confessed leadership geek, I think. Um, I geek out on anything that's to do with leadership um, as much as some of my friends do with um, Game of Thrones, I think. Um, and uh, I'm an executive coach. I work, uh, my day job is to work with uh, mostly executive leadership teams um, to become high-performing teams. I write a blog called The Leader's Digest, and I wrote a book, uh, which started four years ago, called Beyond Burnout. Uh, and part of that was really um, I had had a front row seat to a lot of burnt out leaders uh, in my role in executive search and as an executive coach. But about four years ago, I started to see a rise in that and I got curious and I saw a lot of uh, research um, indicating that it was on the rise. And uh, and the other thing that sort of annoyed me a little bit was that all the articles um, on the internet, it was a wash about burnout, but it was all targeted to the individual, um, you know, what to do to stop it uh, and prevent it. And that kind of annoyed me a little bit because when I looked into it a bit more, um, you know, when we look at the causes of burnout, they are systemic, they are to do with culture and leadership practices and, and are in the organisation. So that sort of started my journey on writing uh, a book called Beyond Burnout. So uh, I live in Nelson uh, and I have three children, uh, married to a wonderful man who annoys the crap out of me, but I love him dearly. Uh, and yeah, that's about it, really. That's me. 
Fantastic. And I forgot to say, Susie, as well, you very kindly gifted us some books to give away. So we will have maybe the first five questions that, that get asked. They can have they can have a book. Yeah. And I have to say, it's wonderful. Amazing. Here it is. Uh, and Jared, let's go to you. So kia ora, everybody. Uh, I am of Tanui descent, Nati Maniapoto, Nati Mahuta. I uh, live in Auckland. So Tamaki Makaura. Uh, and and uh, Tainui comes up to South Auckland there, a little a little touch, little touch into Auckland, so to speak. Um, I am a professor of human resource management. Uh, I completed my PhD way back in 2003. Seems a long time ago. Um, I have been doing burnout um, research in different ways, and maybe I'll talk to that when we get to the definition type thing. Um, but it's been definitely pedal to the metal since um, since lockdown. Well, just pre-lockdown, I started doing, um, I guess, some new burnout research, and it has been dominating my um, my academic career, um, and uh, I guess particularly in the media, but also writing-wise. So I've had one paper published um, a month or so ago, but I have about four or five other ones under review and I'm trying to write about four or five other ones without burning out. <laughs> um, but the like irony. A typical, a typical academic, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, <laughs> but for, for the first time, uh, and I'll talk about this when we talk about some of those drivers, um, trying to bring the lens back on, on myself as well, which has been a, a useful exercise. So kia ora, everybody. Looking forward to, um, to today. Yeah, fantastic. Kia ora. Welcome, Jared. And yes, I certainly um, feel you on that one. I used to do presentations on how to live your best life and then burnt out. So <laughs> I feel like I, I know this well. <laughs> Look, let's get clear. Let's start on burnout. You know, what, what is burnout? What, when we're talking about it as a, as a, a syndrome, an illness, uh, you know, what's kind of the language that we're using and what are the signs and symptoms that we're looking for? Kick off with whoever feels more comfortable to take it, Susie or Jared. Uh, okay. Uh, well, um, <clears throat> burnout is uh, a sort of a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion that's caused by excessive and prolonged stress or chronic stress that's related uh, to your professional life. Um, stress in, in and of itself is not necessarily the problem. In fact, a certain amount of stress is actually really good for our well-being and our performance. Um, but it, um, it, it, you know, the, the World Health Organization has come out uh, and called it an occupational phenomenon. And you think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it really talks to, uh, you know, the um, the significance and growing uh, problem of burnout. Uh, and there are three red flags, which I'm sure Jared will go into. One of them is chronic exhaustion. So I loved what I think, Jared, you said in the stuff. It's like you've got nothing left, left to give. It's not just uh, you, you lose your bounce back factor. Uh, you know, you might go on holiday and you come back and your batteries won't recharge. So it's that really extreme end of uh, exhaustion. The second red flag or symptom is uh, increased cynicism or depersonalization, uh, sort of a distancing uh, and reduced professional efficacy. So it sort of feels like uh, you know you're trying your hardest but you just can't uh, perform the things that you used to I, somebody in the book who I researched said it's a bit like running a, a, a marathon in molasses and I thought that was a really good metaphor uh, but Jared I'm sure you'll have a lot more uh, academic and correct uh, ways of actually def defining burnout so I'll hand over to you to to add to that 
Kia ora. Um, so this is a very good point, right? Academics love measuring things and creating things and changing things. Um, so to be honest, um, two things. One is um, burnout is not fatigue. I'm really tired. What I say to people is, hallelujah, have a holiday, right? Have a week off, you'll recover. Fatigue is, fatigue is great. Now, fatigue does lead, lead to, you know, workplace errors, et cetera, but fatigue, even if someone said, I'm extremely fatigued, great, take an extremely, you know, it's going to have to be the Cook Islands, isn't it? It's about the only place at the moment you could fly to. Um, so fatigue is different from burnout, and there's a couple of different ways. The one that Susie described um, is the Maslach burnout inventory, which I have used since my PhD days. Um, more recently, I've used a new one, the, the burnout assessment tool, the BAT, even has a little BAT sign. Um, and they've, they've changed things up a little bit. They've got four dimensions, exhaustion, physical, mental, feeling worn out, right? So that was pretty easy. But it's got things like emotional impairment. So this is where you start losing control of your emotions. And I read in stuff last month, um, it was an example there about nurses getting to work early, having a good cry in the car, and then going to work. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah, like that's a healthy thing, right? So that's that's clearly not normal. A cognitive impairment, though, is when we start having memory problems. Um, and I've heard people talk about this, and, and people, you know, we could be talking about, oh, I've opened up the lid on my laptop and I can't remember how to start it, mm. right? It's not like I can't remember how to operate to do brain surgery. It could be something very, very basic. Um, and the last one is mental distancing, which aligns with the cynicism, which is where, you know, I actually don't really, I, want, I doubt the worth of the work I'm doing. So I'm just kind of very cynical about my work. Um, and so those are those kind of four dimensions. And the reason I use those, it's the only measure that has a burnt out. It kind of it ranks people. And then you can draw a line and say, if you've scored above this one, you are burnt out. And the next one down is called the orange zone, which means like I call it, the, you know, you're smoldering. And then we've got everybody else. And most of us, um, you know, I, I use the, a, a toaster analogy. Burnt out is when you've got totally blackened, uh, mm -hmm. toast that you never want to eat. The the smouldering side is when maybe one side's a bit charred and smoking and you, you do doubt eating it. But the reality is most people will get a bit of um, a bit cooked in the workplace, right? That's mm -hmm. that's very natural. And indeed my data shows about 10 out of a thousand people will have literally will have one, one on a scale. They'll have no burnout. Um, so they're the total outliers, one percent will be, ah, works fine. I have no no hassles, no, you know, no exhaustion, no nothing. So that's the kind of um, my definition and, and the reason why I'm using that one. I do acknowledge there are other ways to look at it as well. Yeah. And it's I, love that, I love that metaphor of the toaster, um, Jared. I think it really explains it so well. Um, so, yeah, I love metaphors. <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? Because it's really, really visual. And I guess it, that leads really nicely into the next question, which is around why is burnout such a big issue right now? Because this, using the toaster analogy, are more of us getting to the really burnt stage more quickly or, or is it been happening for a while and we have greater awareness? What's kind of driving and sitting behind that right now? 
You go, Jared. Okay, so uh, so I've been tracking this pre um, pre COVID. So February twenty twenty, May twenty twenty, December twenty twenty, April twenty twenty one, and about to do some more maybe next month. Um, and I'm talking about you know surveys of about a thousand um, workers. So definitely on the way up. Um, is it really, you know, I've had a few people say, oh, don't blame COVID. Uh, but part of me thinks, actually, I think COVID is that kind of psychological, um, I called it the pebble in the shoe, right? It's been nagging us. Um, and even though we've had six weeks of lockdown versus, I was talking to an academic in England, I think they're now back at the university after like 14 months of teaching online. And I was just like, wow. You know, I was saying, like, oh, we've had six weeks and they really hated me. Um, and so I think we've had that driver going on. So I think we're, there is more burnout occurring. We have more um, awareness of it. So people like Sarah and Susie and Jared, um, I think that's helping raise attention. Um, but I think other things that drive it are around workload, working conditions, um, and these things are naturally more challenging uh, as we go along. And so my research shows, you know, technology use after hours so at home, on your phone, doing those, doing those things that impact on family time are, are a driver of, of being burnt out. So uh, I do have some other drivers, but I'm happy to kind of swing it off to Susie there for next. Mm. Um, uh, the only thing I would add is that um, I agree. I agree with Jared. Although you know we we can't blame COVID for all of our burnout woes, but it certainly has exacerbated a lot of the conditions um, that you know that cause burnout. So I've got nothing more to add around that. Um, what I would say is that organisations that I'm working with, and 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 I think they're waking up to uh, the importance of mental well-being um, and so you know uh, it's it's as important as people's physical well-being and it not only uh, is the right thing to do to look after your employees but it's also makes good business sense we'll talk about the costs later uh, and so uh, but I still think for the most part a lot of organizations are still finding their way on how to tackle uh, not only burnout but mental distress and mental wellness in in, in the workplace and you know we've seen a proliferation of you know yoga classes and mindfulness and fruit bowl in the in the lunchroom but you know burnout's not going to be fixed by a fruit bowl in the lunchroom so you know I think there's a way to go when we look at the root causes yeah and then it certainly speaks to it doesn't it the difference between you talked about this earlier Susie about the difference between looking at it from an individual approach and actually looking at it from a system or an, an organizational approach and certainly Jared you know from what you're saying there really are these driving factors that are, are at an institutional system kind of level rather than just one person sort of smoldering on their own when we look at organizations you know what are the the big impacts when it, when burnout's not addressed what are we seeing across organizations hmm um, I'll just briefly say that, and you'll have some really good research to back this up. But uh, you know, burnout has has been proven to have uh, to cause issues with um, reduced productivity, uh, engagement, turnover, presenteeism, absenteeism. Uh, so it it really isn't good for the bottom line um, from an organisational perspective, uh, and it's having it's costing a lot not only in healthcare but uh, in in the bottom line. So Jared, what I mean in terms of the costs, I'm sure you have some, uh, you know, the OC. Yes, I mean, 
the, the global data says it's in the hundreds of billions. Yeah. So uh, in New Zealand, um, you know, you're at least looking at half a billion dollars a year, and it's probably a billion dollars. Um, and and to be honest, it probably does morph out of burnout into mental health issues in general, right? But the, the research shows people who are burnt out want to leave their job. Um, you as an employer might go, oh, well, Jared's burnt out and he's left. Um, good luck finding the next replacement mm-hmm. in this market, right? So turnover costs the organisation, uh, engagement drops. Lots of research says engaged employees are more productive, so they're going to be less productive. Um, as you said about all the kind of absenteeism and all those kind of things. I think some of the other bits there is burnt out workers do have uh, mental health issues. Those will impact not only themselves, but their whanau. Um, I haven't seen the research, but it makes sense that it'll impact the work teams. Mm. And if you, you imagine these high pressure work teams where if one person gets into that burnout stage, and the rest of the team is smouldering, using my analogy earlier, you know, there's a warning sign not only for the organisation but for the rest of the team, right? If you, if you see somebody burn out and literally drop off, then you're like, oh, my gosh, this is where we're all heading to. Yeah. Um, so fundamentally, what does it cost? Lots and lots of money. Um, and to be fair, donating $100 to Mike King's Gumboot Friday charity is fabulous, but it's not going to fix it. Um, you know, and, and and I had somebody joke to me once and say, maybe if I just add a couple more bananas to the fruit bowl, mm, um, yeah. we'll be fine. And I thought, you know, that's a great that's a great example of um, if, if that's the end point for your organisation, um, you, you're in trouble. But yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah. fundamentally, uh, all detrimental. This not yeah. good. <laughs> it's um, not a good picture. It's disgusting. No. And. Oh, you know, and, and as you say, it's not just um, it's not just individual costs and team costs. I read um, one of the bits of research is that they say that it's catchy. You know, it's a bit it, it, so it can spread. Um, and I just want to jump in here on my soapbox here about one of the biggest myths that I've come across, uh, and I mentioned earlier about treating it as an individual problem. And I'm going to throw in another metaphor here. That's a bit like treating the sick fish when it's the water that's contaminated. Uh, it's not only problematic and can almost uh, bring the semblance of blaming the individual for burning out, but as Jared says, it can miss some of the other people who may be on that. You know, it's not. Burning burnt out, but they might be getting the the toast burnt quite a lot. Uh, And it misses when you look at the root causes of burnout. Um, Most of these are definitely uh, grounded in systems, in the the ecosystem, in leadership practices. You know, you can't talk about burnout without having a conversation around leadership practices. I think it's so important. And it, it also sort of talks to that Also, the reputational issues for organisations, because if you get a reputation for being an employer where people burn out, you know, it doesn't take long, especially in a country the size of New Zealand, for word to get out that that's kind of how the culture operates or or whatever. But I love the myths. Let's go to some of the myths because there are some great ones. And I I was um, sharing with with Susie and Jared earlier that, um, you know, especially having shared my story um, uh, in national media and and talked about it quite a lot online, I think I probably heard most of the myths pass back at me. So all I've been doing is diligently keeping a list of them. <laughs> and I thought, oh, good, now I can ask the experts. So here's some of the things that I've heard, and I'd be, you know, love to test these with you. One of them is why don't people stop themselves from burning out? Uh, yeah, I'll jump in there. So, so two individual level characteristics, perfectionism and workaholism. 
So, so the perfectionists have the problem in that I've just, maybe if I just give it one last go over on the weekend, um, so the long hours start to tick up. So there's that challenge there versus the organizations that might be saying, hey, we, you know, we need to be working smarter, not harder, less hours. And when I say less hours, you know, we, so my research says 55 hours yeah. is one of those, um, a week is one of those key determinants of yes. health. The World Health Organization says if you're working 55 hours a week or more uh, continuously, like on a regular basis, your chances of dropping dead with a heart attack are about 17% yeah. higher than, the, than than your other fellow workers. Now, that's 192 countries, that data, so it includes New Zealand. Um, so I use 55 hours as the as the red line, right? And so I say, you know, you've got to stay away from those things. Um, so I think that's that's one, and it's so much easier for organisations to say, oh, you need to, to manage it better, Um I am encouraging, which is a bit of an interesting one, uh, organisations to look at their technology use and say, mm -hmm. how bad is it if I turned it off at 6 o'clock on a Friday night and started it at 6 o'clock on a Monday morning? Oh, I couldn't do that. Why? Yeah. You know, because if I'm like this and I can't actually access anything, I'm probably going to put the phone down, right? I, there's yeah. no work emails. I, and that may not be a bad thing. You know, and I've suggested even firms try it one one weekend a month. Yeah. Just see yeah. what happens. I bet you the workforce is going to go, oh, that was amazing. Yeah, I I totally, um, I just have to jump in here and really back up what Jared is saying. And, and from a leadership perspective, I think a lot of leaders underestimate the shadow they cast. So when they whisper, it comes out like a shout. So if you've got leaders who are, you know, consistently sending emails out, um, out you know, 10 or 11 o'clock, um, it's really hard, you know, unless they're really clear about saying, I don't expect you to respond. But even then, it's like, can put it in your drafts and send it the next day I think it's really important um, that we look at that use of out of work uh, email and technology I, I, I totally agree with what Jared's saying there and and I think this is where leaders have to lead and model uh, what they expect of, of of their teams yeah I think it's really that's really important and it sort of talk, talks to one of the other ones which maybe it's not so easy for me to kind of take on board as an entrepreneur, but I've heard others, you know, have basically this where it's, well, just quit your job as if that's the answer to everything. And and we are looking more at an individual here, but what happens if someone does just kind of quit their job and walk away? What are the sort of, I guess, psychological benefits, but what are also some, potentially some of the downfalls? Well, you know, I think the interesting thing was, you know, I interviewed quite a few surgeons um, and, you know, some of them, they're so passionate about their about their work and they don't want to have to, to leave. And so uh, I would say, look, in some cases, um, leaving the profession or your job uh, is an option, but it's not the only one. And I think that there are many other ways, uh, a path back from burnout recovery that don't necessarily um, mean that that is the only option. I mean, I, I've experienced burnout myself. I was really lucky that even though my direct manager and I were both quite in the dark about what burnout was, uh, he worked really 
you know, co-collaboratively with me in terms of a path back, uh, and uh, and was and I had a really supportive organisation in that regard. Uh, so uh, at the other thing is too, you know, like Jared said, is is that when you are experiencing burnout cognitively, I don't think when you're in an extreme sense, that's the best time to make life changing decisions. So in some ways, it's like don't make that decision right now when you're right, you know, when you're in that position. Mm-hmm. And Jared, did you have anything to, to add to that one? Yeah, I've got some interesting research. I haven't written this into a paper. It's on my to-do list. Um, so what I found is that those employees who were burnt out are more likely to want to leave their job, which makes sense. But if you find lots of meaning in your work, it actually reduces the willingness to leave, mm-hmm. which sounds good, but it doesn't reduce the mental health problems of being burnt out. So you could be literally going, oh, I really love my job, while while you are literally yep. in flames, burning up to a crisp. Um, and and I mean, I'm going to talk more about this a bit later on, but you know, I think this is the role of friends, Fano and colleagues to say, hey, you know, I'm I'm seeing a dramatic change in your well-being, and and I'm encouraging you to to think or or perhaps, and that's a good point, Susie, about the uh, cognitive problems you know maybe it's you know you you need to go see the gp and talk about what's going on because i can see the problem as your friend colleague partner or whatever um and 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 because people will sometimes just say i've just got to work through Mm. get out the other side which might instead of instead of you know on a linear path oh i've got through the workload they actually just dug themselves a bigger hole yeah Uh, and then then that's almost impossible then you're going to have to have a serious kind of crisis to recover yeah, and I, I was like, this is where I say we were having a conversation, do as I say, not as I do. One of the things is don't do what I did, which was dig deeper, just work harder, blame myself. I think like a lot of mental distress in the workplace, uh, burnout is shrouded in stigma and people are too afraid to stick their hand up and say, actually, I'm struggling uh, because they will perceive that that will be a career limiting move. And, and one of the, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about what we can do, but from an organisational and leadership perspective, destigmatizing burnout, I think, is part of it. Uh, and, um, I, you know, I probably, it was exactly what Jared said. If it wasn't for some really good friends and my my husband, who didn't really understand it, but could start to witness what was happening, uh, I think I would have just carried on and carried on. And things got better when I actually started to uh, reach out and and get help from from various various people. Yeah, and that would I would certainly echo that and be my own experience. In fact, the lovely Hannah Hardy Jones is on this call. I do remember her at one stage saying to me, "You seem like you know almost kind of manic, and it's almost that that work push. You're just working, and you've almost shifted into another space where you actually can't reasonably make." reasonable choices anymore because you've kind of you know your whole head has shifted um so but I, I really want to kind of come back to that myth thing as well is there any myths that you hear all the time that you just you know here's your soapbox I know you know Susie you had one but is there any others you think is really worth dispelling because that also helps with the destigmatization right if we're if we're able to talk about this in a way where people are actually talking about you know what burnout is and what an impact it has mm. Jared, what do you think? I'm keen to hear some of your. Yeah, I, I guess one of my the biggest one I had is um, is actually a slight critique of the of the term burnout. So yes, I'm burnt out because I'm really tired. Ah, yeah. And and I kind of think you know I think the awareness has led to a slight you know oh my gosh I'm exhausted from this week I'm burnt out. Yeah. Um, so now it gets used 
too much, unfortunately. Um, you know, and maybe one of those things is, um, you know, if you think you're exhausted slash burnt out, take a week off. And if at the end of that week, nothing can, it'll, it'll, you'll feel like it's improved at day three, right? You'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm back. If you're really burnt out by the start of the next week, you'll go, oh no, I'm, I'm still as exhausted as I was. And then I think you need to say, actually, I'm not exhausted or really tired. Maybe it's something a little bit more and it probably is more burnout. Um, and as I was saying earlier, being fatigued is bad, but it's it's a far easier uh, route back to normality than being, you know, that kind of burnt to a crisp type thing. Mm. Um, and so that's probably my one myth out there is that, you know, I read something that said, oh, 50% of, of medical doctors and hospitals are burnt out. And I'll say, no, they're not, because people would be dying all the time. Now, uh, doctors and nurses um, overworked, underpaid, under-resourced, totally. Are they, some will definitely be in that burnout um, range and some might be smouldering and it might be a lot who are smouldering. But, you know, in those kind of critical healthcare jobs, you know, poor performance means pa more patients would die. and We'd see a spike in deaths, Thank you know, and, and thankfully, if there's any on, online or listening to the podcast, hope, you know, thank, keep up the good work, save the lives. Um, you know, but fundamentally, that may just be a lot of fatigue, needing some. And don't get me wrong, see, the, the trouble for that sector is, oh, I need three weeks off to recover. I've got, got no one to replace you. You're going to have two days. That's not going to, that won't help them either. So complicated. Yeah, really challenging. And I mean, we are getting, as you said, those are our, those are sort of professional groups that are getting some visibility around this. And we often see media stories around you know, the medical professional teaching profession. What about minority groups? Because I know, Jared, you've been doing a little bit of work around um, Māori workers or, or, or other minority groups and what you're seeing in terms of burnout there. Yeah, so interesting. All my research finds no gender difference. Yeah. Now, part of me might think, Hooray! Nobody, but but if you think about it, it actually means that given that those burnout rates are, are increasing, there's, there's nothing to cheer about that. Women are as burned out as men, um, you know. So so, but but what I was finding in my December data was that Maori were a higher burnout, and I do think that represents kind of two distinct distinct groups. One is the um, low skilled workers having you know more insecure work, having to work more probably multiple jobs, longer hours, uh, especially, say, in Auckland because it's a flippin' expensive city to live in. And then conversely is the Māori professionals who are uh, working lots of hours and have this kind of, well, there's the kind of double cultural shift, the extra work around um, getting every Māori-specific uh, job that comes their boss's way. I've got something for you. Uh, and, but also this whole kind of doing meaningful work that, that benefits Māori culture or Māori society or the hapu iwi and feeling like, oh, I've just got to do this extra thing because my hapu will really appreciate it, which is obviously great on one hand, but if it leads to you being burnt out, um, that is not going to help everybody, including yourself in the long long run. So, yeah, there is definitely... Um, some distressing data around Māori from that time period. Mm. Uh, and I'm really curious, you know, that there are those um, sort of uh, often touted six sort of six causes of 
burnout. And that sort of talks to one of the myths that burnout is only caused by overwork, uh, working long hours. Yes, that is one of the main causes, uh, but there are actually others. And, and uh, you know, relating to what you're saying, Jared, um, particularly around Māori, um, is I wonder if you think some of the other causes are things like insufficient reward, uh, a sense of perceived sense of isolation, an absence of fairness, so things like pay, perk, prestige, um, uh, you know, a values conflict or a mismatch in terms of your own values and that of the organisation and a lack of control. Uh, I, 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 you know, I have more questions. I'm curious about the, <laughs> the interplay between those things. So I do have some recent data. My, my most recent research, I did look at workplace loneliness, um, which is an interesting, you know, so basically it's, it's having no close personal relationships at work. So you could work in an office with 20 people and you are literally like, oh, I'm, I'm, I feel quite alone here, right, because I don't have a friend. Um, unless it's about five times more likely to be burnt out if you're, if you're in that kind of high level of workplace loneliness. So do not underestimate, mm-hmm. um, you know, two things there. Individually, do not underestimate the importance of talking, socialising and having yes. friendships at work. But B, if you're the, if you're in this, I have none of these symptoms. None of these things occur to me. Um, congratulations, that's fabulous. You're not in the minority, but you're in a, you're in three court, you know, three fifths of the workforce. Um, don't be shy about giving some of your time and energy to your, to to lonely work, you know, colleagues who do look like they're under the pump. You know, go and buy them a coffee. Go and spend some time talking to them. They may unload on you, and you might go, wow. Yeah, you need to go see HR because that sounds quite um, terrible. So workplace loneliness. The other one I've just done research on, imposter syndrome, um, which is a kind of whole nother conversation in itself. But imposter syndrome, again, another one of those kind of fundamental drivers. So, again, at the individual level, uh, I do have organisational and leadership ones as well. Um, so that's those, you know, so if you feel like you're an imposter in your work, no matter what you do, you, you don't feel like you kind of deserve the, and wrong one's moving nicely there. Um, uh, you know, you don't deserve the rewards of your work. That can be a determinant of being burnt out. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, um, a term that was sort of came to my head in, in the two things you're talking about is almost that building that social capital, you know, building that connection with others. And, and you know, if yours is a bit depleted to go and fill, fill someone else's up and, and that role that we said, we all have a responsibility. Is that what you would say, Susie? You're nodding. Absolutely. Vigorously. Vigorously. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think we are hardwired for connection. And uh, people want to connect. And this is, you know, people are feeling a bit more lonelier. And so I I would say uh, building purposeful social connection in our workplaces is pivotal. And this is where, once again, I believe leaders need to lead on this. You know, if we were a fly on the wall in most organisations, there would be a lot of what are we doing conversations, and that's fine. Task-related conversations are really good. But I think we need to have more how are we going conversations as well. And this needs to be leader led if you're leading a team uh you know one really practical one organization i'm dealing with um you know they've a particular leader is just and this is at a chief executive level they start their exec teams really short check-in about on a scale of one to ten you know how is everybody what's on top of you know a really quick 
check in. And and that's at a group level, but also if you're having your one-on-ones with your direct reports, um, you know, include some form of well-being. Or here's the thing, just ask how are you really and listen actively to the answer be fully present with people um you know how many times have we said how are you going good great and and we carry on and so so i think if we can start to see the importance of building purposeful social connection and sure that might be the you know doing a football local you know you know touch team but it can be other things as well and as jared says if you're an individual just if you sense somebody's lonely you know invite them out you know ask for people's participation and certainly um, increase our listening skills i think that is just one thing that you know everybody wins when that happens yeah, and I think that's so important. I, I'm really picking up, picking up from both of you is is that use of language and and that yeah that 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 connection. And it's interesting, Susie, you say that because you know all the way through my burnout journey, and I'm still recovering. People say, "Oh no, how are you?" And you kind of have that moment of going, you go to say, "I'm really well, thank you. How are you?" And you're like, actually, to be fair, I'm, I'm not actually very well. But it's kind of how do you have that conversation because that's not comfortable for people when it's the five minute hi you know how, how's things going you know that that's difficult so let's jump into into talking about that from a leadership point of view you know what are broadly some of the things that leaders can be doing across their organizations to minimize the impact of burnout minimize burnout occurring and really support people yeah uh so um one evening when i was writing my book i i had a glass of wine and I came up with the four eyes. Uh, you know, recognize, destigmatize, socialize, which is what we've talked about, and and prioritize. And these can these sort of strategies can be applied at an organizational level, at a leadership level, and an individual level. Two things I think that um, leaders need to take, um, and just on that social connection, one of the most important priorities for any people leader is to build psychological safety and and build trust and when we're talking about trust it's uh it's the awareness it's it's creating spaces where people can feel like they can show up fully that in high trust teams you'll see things like I've made a mistake um uh you know you're better at this than me uh, I'm worried about it so building trust and psychological safety actually helps that I think um leaders you know shame never drives positive behavior was a quote that uh Brene Brown said so I think uh once again this begins and ends with leadership if you you know it's it's not about burnout but when Craig Hudson the chief executive of Zero, came out and spoke about his experience with depression uh, you know, Sir John Kerwin, who wrote the foreword for my book, uh, leaders, as I said, shadows um, are cast. The other thing I would do around organising work is look at the degree to which people have a say in the way their work is, is carried out. Um, that's going to affect that sense of, you know, we, we say one of the causes is a lack of control. So if people can um, involve employees on the how and, and the what as well as and the why of the work, I think that's going to happen. And I think organisations need to get better at prioritising. You know, what are we going to ditch, delay? Um, you know, I was working with an executive leadership team the other day and they said, here's our, here's our 30 priorities. And that just makes an oxymoron of the word. So if you're at an executive leadership team saying, here's our, you know, 
even 10 priorities, you know, for the organisation. Think about how that's actually going to uh, to really filter down to the rest of it. So I, I say get laser-like focused on what is important and ditch the nice-to-have kind of interesting stuff because that's going to have a huge impact. Um, and, and for individuals, Really start to do what you can to negotiate and and discuss priorities with your manager. I mean, at the same time, saying no, like Jared says, you know, working in that, you know, that urgent and important, uh, what is important, not urgent, um, you know, there's a whole lot of practical uh, tactics. So uh, soapbox moment over. That's fantastic. It's really helpful. And I'm really picking up yeah, just how important that leadership role modeling, as you say, you know, they cast the shadows. Jared, I'm, I'm keen to hear from, from you. Other tips kind of around leadership there. Yep. So, so my data would say, um, you know, the research tells us good leaders shape good cultures, good climates, and, and those are important. And, and Susie mentioned the psychosocial uh, safety. So my research, I have included that as a climate uh, if if workers in that top who work for a company who are in that top twenty percent are three times less likely to be burnt mm-hmm. out, right? Mm-hmm. Because here mm-hmm. you've got senior management walk the talk. Uh, they involve employees and how to do things better, including their their well being. So again, with the the role of leaders is vital. I have some interesting data, which this is from my published paper. Um, It was 880 managers in New Zealand. Um, The highest burnt-out group was uh, executives and senior managers at 17%, and the lowest group included CEOs. Mm. Now, the reason CEOs at 10%, right, this is still a a sizable chunk, but the reason CEOs, they have far more freedom to go, and I'm going to delegate that to Sarah. And Susie, can you lead this one? So they are able to remove those, the pressures where obviously the next level down to me when I um, interpret that data, it's the executives who have to make the CEO's um, dreams come true who get lumbered with all the with all the work, right? So um, there was a question around uh, clarity, around setting clear goals. And yes, beyond job and security, we have things like, um, you know, clear expectations around work are one of those kind of critical drivers. But not only is our leadership and organisations important to burnout, it's worth saying that my research shows that, yes, 20% of organisations and or leaders probably do a really good job. 20%. 20% are at the other end and they're, and they're just total crap and they probably don't care. And we still have quite a big, sizable middle that aren't doing their greater job. And they might say, oh, no, we've, I mean, my organisation, AUT, we have an EAP, um, you know, Employee Assistance Program. Sounds good. And when I talk to the person, you know, the number of people using it in a year is, I think it was like 4%. And I was trying to convey that 4% is actually a kind of tiny amount, right? And they were like, oh, yeah, it's way busier than it had been pre-COVID. And I was like, yeah, but if 20% of the workforce is experiencing burnout, 4% seeking help is means that there's probably a big chunk of workers not utilising those. So I think, we, you know, organisations that have some kind of strategy need to keep pushing and doing more, not say, you know, we have a sweet, you know, for, for want of a better word, it's just a fancier fruit bowl, right? That's, I've got everything here. 
uh, and I'm encouraging people to use it. Now, I think we need to be telling organisations that the majority still aren't doing enough. Um, mm. And I'm not saying it has to be they have to spend lots of money, but I think they do need to um, perhaps not picking on those executives and senior managers because they are burnt out, but, you know, reminding them that leaders play an important role in managing their workforces, their teams, their departments, and checking in on their well-being. Mm. But it sounds like a lot of work for managers, doesn't it? Mm. Well, so I we think need Susie. <laughs> we do. Well, I think it's a really interesting observation because, and I and I see this a lot with the discussions I have with the wellbeing champions here and across the community. That you often end up with CEOs out there talking about these amazing wellbeing initiatives that we do, and here's all the awards that we've won, and here's all the initiatives which tend to focus on the lower parts of the organisation and it seems to be that middle bit where it all gets lost, you know, and, and I, as you say, those people, they have to implement it, they have to kind of be well themselves and they've got the pressures of their role and so there's a lot happening in that space. And Susie, you, you must be seeing seeing that in some of the work that you're doing. Yeah, um, and I can't remember the research, but in, it's a, in the book there's that middle managers are often um, at quite high risk of, of burnout because they've kind of got the squeeze of, of top and bottom. Um, look, I think when it comes down to leadership practices, it seems common sense. And some of the things that you can do uh, as a leader are really uh, just good basic leadership practices. And these can actually, you know, uh, lower the risk of people uh, uh, experiencing burnout. Clarity and communications um, is really important. We've talked about prioritisation, making sure that you're stamping out excessive politics and workplace bullying. Uh, You know, that's like lighter fuel fuel for um for that experience um you know somebody asked what's can you talk a little bit about the values conflict or or mismatch um this is one uh, which I'm sure Jared would have a lot to say, but I, I think when people feel a, a real disconnect between their own personal values and that of the organisation, that can increase a, a risk of burnout over time. And this is where I think, you know, when when organisations and are recruiter, it's in our recruitment practices, is really looking at and exploring values and being very upfront and cognizant about what your values are and what that other person is, because that's a really that's a really distressing place for for people to be in um you know uh, i think that uh having asking for you know giving feedback regular feedback uh increasing and improving your coaching and your listening skills um really making it safe that you know we talk about that psychological safe these seem like basic leadership practices but if we can absolutely do that uh that's going to reduce interesting story about eap i was working with one organization and they said and there was a group of them in the room and they said oh uh, well, somebody said, oh, you know, we, 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 we've got EAP. Now, over half of the people in the room were unaware. So it's not enough just to have these uh, uh, these uh, 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 services avail- available. You have to actively communicate. And some of those were senior managers. Um, you know, recently we had this wonderful example of this chief executive, quite blokey. He came out and said to his team, actually, I've used EAP and it was really good. Now, that is what we need to start to see because it's also addressing that whole stigma, uh, and and he was open and saying actually we've got to we've got to communicate it. So just sticking it on the intranet ain't enough. 
That is such a good tip. That's such a good tip. I'm going to move to questions in just a second, but I'm going to ask you both this kind of final one before we jump into other people's questions. But if you had kind of one or two takeaways for those sitting here, either for burnout in terms of you're taking care of themselves, because these people, a lot of them, you know, have been carrying the well-being can in their organizations and they are tired and they are exhausted and it is a big job. Um, what would you say? And or in terms of impacting the, the burnout happening across their organisations, what sort of one or two things, real takeaways for them? Um, well, I would say is that if you are in that wellbeing space and you are wanting to influence um, some some positive change in your organisation, look to who are the uh, decision makers and who, what, and how are they influenced? You know, how do they like to be communicated? For some uh, senior execs um, or a particular chief executive, they might be, well, what's it, you know, it's about the bottom line, it's about profit, it's about action. So use all of the plethora of, of statistics around the costs of burnout. If another person is, what's the latest thing that, you know, is in the space, if that's what um, motivates them, use that. Um, so really put yourself in the shoes of the person you're trying to influence and tailor your argument around this whole conversation to them rather than, you know, you might think, well, it's just not good for our people. Um, and that might be, a, you know, it might be about relationships, but it might be different. So that would be the first thing. Um, and certainly I would say find ways to treat it like a like an organisational issue rather than an individual issue. Um, if you start with that mindset, I think that might open up some different strategies. I mean, there's a whole lot more uh, individual practical strategies that I talk about in the book, but that's just a couple. What do you say, Jared? What do you think? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, personal care, um, you know, one of my things is, you, you know, you do have to look after yourself. Organisations will go, oh, my gosh, have you burnt out? I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't really help me, does it? Um, so one of my things is um, keeping a tally of hours because yeah. I was doing all this research on 55 workout. I call it the red line. It's like the line of death. Um, and you know what? Someone said to me, how many hours do you work? I went, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm surely not 55 hours. So the last two months, I have kept a track. Uh, I have uh, crossed the red line a few weeks, um, which is good to know, right? Because I'm just like, damn. Um, and I've had a 54-hour week. And believe it or not, I went, hooray. But in my mind, I was like, so close. So I think keeping a track of yourself um, is important. The other one there is think about, you know, I like scaring people. Teresa Gadding said she took three months to recover from being burnt out. Can you, do you have enough leave, sick leave, money in the bank in Auckland um, to afford doing nothing for three months? I, I somehow suspect not. So hence, it is in my own personal interest to, to take care of, of my burnout, even if, and if it is my boss, um, and my last point here is um, you smouldering bro was was something that I, this is where my toast analogy came from. I said that to my friend because he was doing something and I said, wow, you're on there. You know, you, you don't look like you're burnt out, but you certainly look like you're progressing your way. Um, so I think using that as a friendly kind of um, terminology to say, I think you're smouldering a bit there. I can see a bit of black smoke rising. Um, and if you can do that to your friends and co-workers, hopefully they will do it to you because we may not be 
Um, you know, it might be that you're looking in the mirror and everything looks good and everybody else sees that there's a lot of black smoke coming from. Thanks again for listening today. It's been great to have you along. If you're keen to join the revolutionaries of wellbeing, head to rowwellbeing, that's R-O-W wellbeing.com and follow the links to sign up. If you're in our community, thanks again, and we look forward to catching up with you really soon.